Love Talk Radio. Come 
Eshu is the respected elder who flogs, confronts, and uncovers fools. That one versed in mysteries uses truth to own you. He causes scatter to feed poverty. Obatala shakes rascals to have sacrifice. The owner of warnings is the one who is Eshu, Abogu, Aboye, Aboshise, Ashe, may our Ebo reach a rune, may our Ebo be accepted, may our Ebo allow what we desire to come to pass. And so we say Ashe. Divine all blessed greetings and salutations this very rainy and stormy Monday in the beautiful city of New Orleans, Louisiana. You are now sitting live with the Divine Prince. Pan-African spiritualist, practitioner, author, and advisor, Elagun Oloye Hudu Obeya Bokur, sharing with you in all things spiritual, mystical, metaphysical, cosmic, evolutionary, revolutionary, healing, and holistic from a Pan-African Hudu world spiritualist perspective, understanding that all is truly and indeed a blessing If you can just see beyond the veils, for it is all just an illusion and a test and one of the greatest divine mysteries of this life cycle. This is indeed my constant prayer, my mantra, my affirmation, reverberation, reiteration, and it is my ever-living reality. All is a blessing is crucial to the very foundation of my inner standing, my being, my walk, my work, my demonstration along this divine, all-blessed life path and journey. It is how I, the divine prince, make sense out of all that we're challenged with, all that we're challenged with here in our daily existence on Mother Father Earth. And it is my personal place of power and understanding. It is the place from where I begin, the place from where I realize, crystallize all my endeavors, understanding that I and I alone create and co-create my divine destiny, and I and I alone create and co-create my divine all-blessed reality. And so it is. Ashe. Today is Monday, May 10th, 2021, and I am emanating and vibrating with you And for you, now live, verbally, virtually, cosmically, quantum universally, visually, from this working temple of the house of the Divine Prince. Thai Potions, Hoodoo Central, LLC, in this beautiful, historic, and most enchanted city in America, New Orleans, Louisiana, the land of my ancestors and those who came before me along this Hoodoo Obeya life path and journey, 
passing down the great Obia stick, along with the knowledge of the life-giving herbs, roots, plants, rituals, spirits, minerals, and indeed, as our beloved Denise Augustine would say, our sacred stories. I'm also always honored, humbled, appreciative to have such powerful co-hosts with me on on this show, on this show, on this panel. I want to reintroduce first my cousin Oloye Ifawole, Oladeji Ifatade, and I honor him and acknowledge him and greet him and and respectfully welcome him back to our show. Uh, we did have Otan with us, but she disappeared momentarily. She'll probably be back, but all is a blessing. So, beloved Oloye, before we go into the show topic, um, offer your greetings and salutations, and and you're welcome. And then we'll acknowledge Otan, and then we'll go into our show. to everyone. I hope everybody is doing well today. I hope everybody's having an absolutely wonderful day uh, today and have done their prayers this morning. Uh, I offer this prayer for our Ori today. <clears throat> As we hold our heads, we say, Conversing, 
with everyone today, uh, for it is truly a blessing, and um, I look forward to enjoying it. Um, and hello to everyone in the chat. I still have not figured out the connection yet, so forgive my lack <laughs> of electronic expertise, but um, greetings to you all and love to everyone. All is truly and indeed a blessing. We, we're grateful for you, beloved. Um, with or without your chat, you, you bring it. <laughs> You bring it each and every time, and, and we certainly appreciate that. Um, before I move forward, I just want to say, you know, I've been doing this podcast since December 28, 2008, and my intention has always been to present, teach, share, restore the truth, the history, the culture about Louisiana, voodoo in particularly, but then about a broader sense of understanding about ATR in general, traditional African-based religious systems. I've had guests on this show from all over the world. I've had representatives from Nigeria, from Ghana, from various places to share with us their, their understanding, their teaching, their history, their perspective. Um, many have said, you know, why do you do this? You're giving so much. Even my mother has, uh, over the years, challenged the amount of time and energy that it takes to do such a broadcast like this. Um, It it turns out to be a four-hour broadcast, the hour I spend before we come on at noon, the show itself, two hours, and and then often at least an hour after the show um, in conversation. So it's a lot of my time. It's a lot out of my day. It's a lot out of my life. It's a lot away from other activities and and projects that I I pursue, and I do it in gratitude. I do it in gratitude because, indeed, this platform previously has not been available to us, and particularly our community. And so uh, a second reasoning that I've always done this show and this broadcast was for us, particularly us African-Americans here in the U.S., here in the Americas, who have often felt disconnected from our roots, disconnected indeed from these traditions. And it has not been an easy journey. (laughs) Let me tell you, it has not been an easy journey. But I am grateful. I continue to do it. Uh, I continue to do it out of love. I continue to do it with my heart and my ears and my mind open. Um, and And I continue to do it in the presence of the ancestors, And indeed, with due respect to those who came before, to our elders Mm -hmm. and those who practice these traditions much more longer than any of us on screen or or even in this room. Um, I was taught very early on where there's no respect for elders, there's no respect. Where there's no respect for elders, you're at a loss of of losing your culture. You're at a loss at at losing your tradition. Um, So there must be respect. There must be respect. I also want to say that I've learned over the years to really reassess how we view criticism. Sometimes we view cri- criticism as, as a negative, as, as an, a personal attack, uh, as an insult. Uh, and, and then there's that level of viewing criticism as an opportunity to hear from outside yourself from a different perspective and utilize that energy, that information to improve 
to better your position, to better your platform. I would like to say I'm grateful for the haters. I'm grateful for the fans. And I'm going to stop referring to them as haters. I'm going to, from here on out, refer to them as fans. I learned that from the beloved Michi X. But I've also had it confirmed through my own walking, living experience. (laughs) We had a powerful, powerful time in Congo Square on yesterday, acknowledging our our great mothers, acknowledging our grandmothers and our great-grandmothers and all those within our maternal lineages that that came before. But I also learned the power of this platform. Not just out in the world. I often reference out in the world because I got a map showing me out in the world. But I often assume because my highest listenership is in the U.S., is in Canada, it is in the quote-unquote English-speaking regions of the world, I just assume who's listening. And so being out in the neighborhood being out in the community and having that energy come back to me was very powerful. was very powerful. And so I appreciate those of you who listen in silence, who listen in isolation, who listen behind shuttered windows, who are indeed listening. I'm grateful. I'm grateful. And keep listening. But beloved, beloved, if you're going to quote me, quote me correctly, because this is an archive both visually and audibly, audibly. This is an archive. Quote me correctly. What I said was there were no Africans in the indigenous world as you know them. African is a totally made-up word from outside the continent. I went a step further and said there were black people on every continent, but were they African? The word Africa is an evocative one that conjures up different images of different people. For some, it's an ivory tusk elephant standing before the snow-capped peaks of Mount Kilimanjaro. For others, it's a mirage shimmering on the horizon of the arid Sahara Desert. It's also a powerful word, one that speaks of adventure and exploration, corruption, poverty, freedom, and mystery. And for 1.2 billion people, the word Africa is also synonymous with the word home. But where does the word come from? No one knows for sure, but I'm going to attempt to share some of the sources from which this word came from. Some believe the word Africa came from the Romans, who named the land that they discovered on the opposite side of the Mediterranean as a Berber tribe living in the Carthage area, Different sources give different versions of the tribe's name, but the most popular is Afri. It is thought that the Romans called the region Afri Terra, meaning the land of the Afri. Later, they could have become, um, later this could be contracted to form the single word Africa. Alternatively, some historians suggest that the suffix Ica or Ica could also have been used to mean the land of a free, in much the same way that Celtica, a region of modern-day France, was named for the Celti, or Celts, that lived there. It is also possible that the name was a Roman misinterpretation 
of the Berber's own name for the place in which they live. The Berber word Ifri, I-F-R-I, means cave and can refer to the place of the cave dwellers. All of these theories are, are lent weight by the fact that the name Africa has been in use since Roman times, although initially it only referred to northern Africa. Others believe the name Africa was derived from two Phoenician words, Friki, F-R-I-K-I, and Farika, P-H-A-R-K-A, P-H-A-R-I-K-A, Farika. The thought to translate as corn and fruit, the assumption is that the Phoenicians Christianized Africa as the land of corn and fruit. This theory does make some sense. After all, the Phoenicians were an ancient people who inhabited the city-states on the east coast of the Mediterranean, what we now know as Syria, Lebanon, and Israel. They were adept seamen and prolific traders who have crossed the sea to trade with their ancient Egyptian neighbors. The Fertile Nile Valley was once known as the breadbasket of Africa, a place where more than its fair share of fruit and corn was grown. Several other theories are connected to the continent's climate. Some believe the word Africa is a derivation of a Greek word, Afrike, A-P-H-R-I-K-E, which translates as the land that is free from cold and horror. Alternately, it could be a variation of the Roman word aprica, A-P-R-I-C-A, meaning sunny, or the Phoenician word afar, A-F-A-R, meaning dust. In reality, Africa's weather cannot be so easily generalized. After all, the continent comprises 54 countries and countless different habitations, ranging from barren desert to lush jungles. However, ancient visitors from the Mediterranean remained in North Africa, where the weather is consistently warm, sunny, and dusty. Another theory claims that the continent was named after Africus, A-F-R-I-C-U-S, a Yemenite chieftain who invaded North Africa sometime in the second millennial B.C. It is said that the Africus founded a settlement in his newly conquered land, which he named Afrikaya, or Afrikya, A-F-R-I-K-Y-A-H. Perhaps his desire for immortality was so great that he ordered the entire landmass named after himself as well. However, the events on which this theory is backed took place long ago that the truth of it is now difficult to prove. This theory suggests that the continent's name came from even further afield, brought by traders from modern-day India. In Sanskrit and Hindi, the root word apara, A-P-A-R-A, or Africa, literally translates as a place that comes after. In a geographical context, this can also be interpreted as a place to the west. The Horn of Africa would have been the first landmass encountered by explorers crossing westward over the Indian Ocean from the south of India. 
Some of you remember me talking about my 23andMe ancestry DNA, and I'm going to share that a little bit uh, later on in the show. It goes back a great deal further in time than Ancestry.com and some of the other uh, DNA sources. I talked about my earliest ancestors not being African, but being from Southern or Southeast Asian, India, Burma, somewhere in the Southeast Asian region, and then crossing over into Africa. That's where my, my bloodline connects, intersects with Africa. And then, of course, continued on to some degree into the modern time. According to experts that research the history of the African continent, the original ancient name of Africa was a Lake Bulan. A Lake Bulan. This name translates to Mother of Mankind or the Garden of Eden. I first heard this word back in 1984, 85. Um, I was actually a part of a, a a group, a, a committee, an organization, if you will, named a Lake Bulan. And their goal at that time was to rescue Liberia and, and eventually Cote d'Ivoire or Ivy Coast. They, they were living as transplants in Ivy Coast, but at the same time, many of you are aware of some of the conflicts that ultimately led to the uh, Civil War in Liberia were also taking root at that time. Uh, and that is how I was able to subsequently host um, Liberians during that conflict here in the States, and particularly in, in Pasadena, California. A Lake Bulan is an extremely old word, and its origins are as indigenous as the people. Many nations of Africa use this word, including the Ethiopians, the Nubians, the Moors, and the Numidians. Many experts believe that the name actually comes from two Phoenician words. These words were Friki, F-R-I-K-I, and Farika, P-H-A-R-I-K-A, which could translate into corn and fruit, respectively. In keeping with this theme, uh, I've got some things I want to share with you all today, um, some things hopefully... Uh, Will, will be of interest to you, will be edifying to you. And I want to talk about creation stories, creation myths around the world, about the origins of mankind, where we came from, who we be, how we got here. And then subsequently, subsequently we can readdress that question again about Africans being in the new world. So one of the first things I want to share with you is what does it mean to be human? We all, I would hope, understand that humanity, um, scientifically known as Homo sapiens, originated from the continent, from the mother continent. But we also understand that the world existed thousands, maybe millions of years prior to that. We are also aware of many other, and I always mix up this word, hominids, that also existed and subsequently bred with or interbred with Homo sapiens to create the humanity that we now know and understand, literally and also scientifically. Uh, we often don't talk about these hominids. I remember back in my day and maybe my cousin's day, you know, we talked about apes 
and, and, and black folks being apes. And that was a very derogatory and negative thing. And I can remember sort of any discussion of hominids sort of fading to the background during the 70s. I was blessed to have the mother that I, I was raised by, educated, college-educated mother, uh, who knew that the school system was not going to give her children all that they needed. Uh, so my playground was a Smithsonian institution. Every building, air and space, art, museum, every building um, was, my, was my playground. Uh, but my favorite was that natural history museum where the huge diamonds are, where the huge quartz crystal clusters are, where, where the largest real authentic uh, crystal ball in the world exists. Uh, but there was always that African element. Um, the African displays, the ancient Egyptian displays, the, the, the Ethiopian displays. And, of course, the, the hominid displays, which showed bodies, bones, uh, things that were often encased in jars, you know, that talked about who we are, how we came to be as, as humanity. So I first want to share this uh, website shot with you guys. Give me a second here. It is from the Smithsonian Institution's Human Origins Program. Can y'all see that? Can y'all hear me? Hello? Hello? Oh, okay. Thank you. Because, you know, when I switched to that screen, I, cu- I couldn't see the chat, so I didn't know what. All right. Thank you. So this, these are our origins. These are our ancestors. Let's be clear. And I want you to look at them. Uh, some of the words are a little bit complicated, so forgive me. <laughs> I'm not going to try and pronounce everything, uh, but but... Kadaba, Ramidas, Afranius, Afranit, Afrensis, Africanus, Anamensis, Gahi. And some of these people, Homo erectus, Homo floresiensis, very black, Homo. Heidelbergensis, very Afrocentric looking. But are these people Africans? Are these ancestors Africans? Homo neanderthalsis. Now, if you aren't already aware, except for you are here, Homo sapiens, none of these people were found in Africa. None of them were found in Africa. They were found outside the continent. South America, North America, Eurasia, and Australia. None of these people were found in Africa. Uh, I'm going to put the link in so you can look at it at your leisure. They have a timeline at the bottom of when these various people existed. Okay, um, I'm just now putting the link in place, um, beloved neophyte, of course, unless you mean from yesterday. Yeah, because it's working fine for me. I just popped it into the chat. Okay. So if y'all will, just for a moment, I'm going to do this so that we can uh, 
see this. All right? So as black as these people are, as Afrocentric looking as these people are, none of these hominids work on the motherland. So there absolutely were black people in other parts of the world. And, and as we begin to travel and move about and intermix, indeed, there were black people in other parts of the world. But let me show you something else, another map here. This map shows the movement of hominids and subsequently humanity. Uh, give me a second, Charles. I got a lot of buttons to push here. Um, okay, I think I see it. All right. This map here shows the movement of hominids and subsequently humanity about the world, throughout the world. And so you see a great migration moving out of the continent, going east into India, into Southeast Asia, and then subsequently into Australia even. We see a migration moving out of the continent, sort of through Egypt, Ethiopia, Yemen, that region, what we now call Saudi Arabia, into the Middle East, and then ultimately into the Eurasian continent, and then maybe even near the Caucasus Mountains. We see a, a, a movement north of Egypt, out of the motherland, deep into the Middle East, deep until into uh, Eurasia, what we now understand is Russia, but you also see it, that red line and also that blue line sort of making a dramatic left turn to the west. And so this link, which I'm going to also put in the chat so you can find it on your own, um, mentions what hominids were found in, in these various locations of the world, which gives them their DNA proof, their DNA scientific evidence of where we were, where the people were at any given time on the planet. We also see some movement with those green arrows from Europe specifically, and, and then the Middle East back into Africa at later periods um, in our evolution. So we've got to be clear. I, I understand the reasons behind some of the emotional motivation for um, sometimes it shows up in, in, in the telling of Moors, and some of you have, have taken on Moors as your identity. With all respect, that's, your, that's your, your right to do so. But first of all, Moors introduced enslavement <laughs> into the world, um, along with the, the Middle Eastern uh, cultural nuances that they also carried with them. And Moors don't exactly account for all the black people in the world. We cannot neglect South Africa, which has a very distinct and unique history, archaeological footprint of our of our ancestors moving up out of South Africa, moving up out of Ngorogoro Crater, and, and, and moving 
north, east, and ultimately west into the world. I also want to look at some of our creation stories in relation to this to this topic, to this subject matter. And so I'm going to do just one or two, um, and then I'm going to move a little deeper into my topic. Loa, Orisha, Abathon, or extraterrestrials. Now, the Anishinaabe, which means the people, Anishinaabe, which means the people in the Algonquin language, the Ojibwe people of Canada who live in northwestern Ontario, Manitoba, east of Lake Winnipeg, the Interlake area, and parts of the northern prairie region, and Saskatchewan use the word to refer to themselves. Sky stories of the Anishinaabe are part of a complex system of spiritual beliefs. Knowledge of the stars is found in many aspects of culture, including storytelling, symbolism, and religious traditions. Some spiritual leaders have special knowledge of the stars and the planet. In ancient times, these indigenous astronomers used this knowledge to help guide the day-to-day affairs of their communities. The Anishabi have been given ways of communicating with powerful heavenly forces. The oral teachings and stories which flow out of this communication between mortals and the spiritual world have been passed down from generation to generation since the beginning of time. For example, one of the most powerful symbols for the life force is the sun. The need for its presence for survival is stressed in ancient times and traditions. Uh, For example, uh, oh, I said that. The need for its uh, presence for survival is stressed in ancient stories called snaring the sun. To this day, the stories of the Anishabi of Central North America featured in this project are remembered and told by respected storytellers. So that's just one indigenous cultural creation story myth that speaks to the sky, that references origins in the sky. And, and of course, we all know that they also can be found in Africa among various ethnic groups in Africa. The Akan religion comprises traditional beliefs and religious practices of the Akan people of Ghana and the eastern Ivory Coast. Akan religion is referred to as Akun, from the Twi word Akun, meaning prophecy. Although most Akan people have identified now as Christians since the early 20th century, Akan religion remains practiced by some and is often synchronized with Christianity. We know they have various abasson, uh and Ananasi is probably one of the, the more uh, commonly known in America. The spider uh, is a story that made its way across the Middle Passage. We can go back to uh, the time of enslavement and, and draw a direct route to the retelling of Ananasi, the, the spirit trickster, um, and, of course, Legba and many other powerful, powerful deities. When we talk about their creation story, followers of the Akan spirituality believe in the supreme God who created the universe. He is distant and does not interact with humans. 
The creator God takes on different names depending on the region of worship, including Iyami, Inyak, Kapun, and a few other words that are just really too hard for me to pronounce right here in this space. But they translate them to the almighty, the infinite inventor, the creator, the great designer, the great spider, uh, and many more. We know that the Abba song, very similar to Yoruba Orisha, Lord deities of spirits, assist humans on earth. The Budon in West African Budon and its derivatives, such as Loa and Haitian Voodoo, the spirits in Louisiana Voodoo, the Alusi and Odinane, Abbasan received their power from the Creator God and most often connected to the world as it appears in its natural state. We can go to India, we can go to Asia, we can go to Australia, and there's this consistent retelling and reconnection to the sky as a source of our origins as a people and for, for indeed humanity. But when we sort of oversimplify and overreduce and, and, and condense, which I've always said is a very Western thing, it's a very Western thing for us to, to reduce it to its common denominator, to give it a label, to squeeze it into a box. It draws to question, at least for me and for some of you, indeed, who were the Olmec people really? Were they indeed Africans? Were they a representative of something African? Were they a representative of black people? And were they a representative of flying black people? Because I stand on my, on, my, on, my, on my point, where are the bodies? Where are the pots? Where are the ritual items beyond just the Omec heads themselves? And it is said scientifically that the whole culture of the Omec sort of disappeared in, in, in the science world's mind because there is indeed no footprint. And so is it a representation of, is it a sign of our ability to have a great deal of mobility in the sky still not yet understood by science? Or indeed were they a product of something extraterrestrial? Now I've always had an interest in alien theories long before the, the series and, and even the book came out. In fact, the book, um, that original author who, who originally sort of pieced the Bible and aliens and, and indigenous world traditions together probably came out in the mid-70s. So I, I would have probably have been seven, eight, nine years old. So I've always had an interest in, uh, of course, the Air, Air and Space Museum as a part of the Smithsonian complex in, in D.C. was another one of my favorite uh, playgrounds and the ability to go into capsules and into rocket ships and, and, and see, you know, science explore the, the universe beyond our, you know, earth-based reality um, is very powerful to the mind, to the imagination, to the spirit, and, and is a form of meditation in itself and, and really begins to open you up to much bigger questions about the reality as we have been uh, given it 
the reality as it has been uh, fed to us. Um, I'm hearing no sound, but you can hear me now. Okay, so maybe when I uh, took my picture off and put up the map, the map was to uh, show the movement of humanity from out of Africa into other continents, um, and then in some cases even back into Africa again. And so I was further using the map, uh, if you didn't hear me while the map was on screen, to further illustrate the presence of black people all over the world. But we have to be careful when we say African. We have to be careful when we use that word. And, and we've run into a similar dichotomy in the black power movement in that we say black and we fight for black power. And so who are we talking about? That's why I also made the statement that Ado's interest is in Africans here in America, black people here in America. They aren't necessarily concerned about the motherland and the mother continent. Not that they disregard them, but they don't see them as an immediate link to the solution. Maybe some degree of, of link to the problem, but, but certainly not an immediate link to the solution. And so they often aren't considering them. It has also been my experience, um, sort of in the reverse, that those in the motherland aren't concerned about us. They're concerned about American money. And, and listen, this is my opinion. This ain't my cousin's opinion. This ain't Otan's opinion. I'm not trying to stir up anything with anyone who's managed to go and get their initiations and has a healthy relationship there. I want to be a witness to it not being common. There are more dramatic stories that I hear than not. And then when I consider my own experience, um, they're not necessarily concerned about us. Respect is not mutual when it comes to the observance and, and participation in many of these traditions. And your impression that Brazil has a better relationship, Cuba has a better relationship with them, to some degree might even be true. We have two cultures that are born and, and bred in, in Ifa practice and tradition. That has never been the case in, in the U.S. And, and, and still today, we are often left to sort of find our own way to build our own uh, uh, foundation. And so that has been since 2008 why I have done this show, why I have presented this show. Now, I want to speak back to Orisha, Loa, Abasson, and the notion that not only are these, um, forgive me, co-hosts, I, I'm going to bring you in, not only are these um, ideas sort of universal in a sense, but they also open up questions, many questions about our ancestors' relationship to and connection with something higher than themselves, something that perhaps came from the sky. I've always been intrigued by Maya culture, Aztec culture, and they're a little bit more specific, spaceship suit-looking attire. Spaceships, flying machines. We also see um, that repeated in China among the black indigenous people of China. Space suit looking attire and spacecraft 
looking um, implements and implementation. So before I talk a whole hour, I, I would like to give um, Oloye and Otan an opportunity to share their opinion or their comment uh, about the subject matter. Maybe you can um, share with us uh, some information that you might have received by way of studying and learning Orisha that might also explain uh, sort of this interesting question of our ancestors either having some relationship to um, extraterrestrial people who, who came from the sky and or even being uh, people who themselves originated from the sky and, and are now living a human existence on Earth. All right, well, I'm going to everybody again. Uh, I can only share from the perspective uh, of uh, the, the Yaraba perspective or the Ifa perspective. Uh, where it spoke of the Arumale being sent here by Illuminati. And when they got here, um, their job was to develop civilization. And so in, in, in Ifa, when they were sent down, uh, you had each one had a different facet. Everyone had a different uh, facet of the uh, of spirit. That was sent here. 401 Arumale, you know, about the original ones that were sent down, being Obatala, being Oshun, uh, and, and many of the other Arumale that were originally sent to begin the process. We all know that Obatala was the one that uh, Alulamari sent in order to begin the facets of developing the uh, human beings and civilization as a whole here on this realm, on this plane. And so now, in this regard, you have stories uh, uh, from various Ifa scholars and senior Babalaos that talked about maybe when the Arumale got here, as they began, as their descendants began to mature and, and they began to even uh, reach puberty at a time and, and look at, at others in more of a sexual manner that Eshu and Ogun uh, and I believe one other Orisha then had the, the job now to develop more human beings in order for procreation. So a large part of the story for our, uh, for our people when it comes down to the creation story, is then dealing with procreation. When we talk about um, the Arumile, the Arumile would have been the emissaries sent down from Olumari, from heaven to earth. When we talk about Orisha, we're talking about those who lived here on this earth, and then as they made transition, they were elevated to a higher uh, place. So similar in, in verbiage to those that lived here and became sainted as they died and became saints. So when we look at uh, the, the uh, Orisha, we're looking at those who came and did such phenomenal work here on this plane and then were elevated to a higher consciousness where we celebrate and honor them today. But it's the Orisha who firstly came down to uh, 
to earth from the new heaven, sent from the little body, as the direct emissaries, as the direct uh, entities to come here uh, to the earth. You know, the creation story also takes on the realm of, of kind of like what, what is taught here as the great bang or the great boom, something like that. Uh, and, and that has a similarity to how the story goes in Ifa about that realm as well. So there's a lot to the, to the uh, creation story for Ifa. Uh, there's a lot to the creation story for the Yaraba uh, culture and people. And so, um, you know, going into the other traditions as myself, my cousin as well, both, both my cousins have Native American uh, culture within them. Then according to which particular, uh, I don't like to use the word tribe, but just to make it easier Definitely. to understand which tribe, you know, you come from, each might have just a little bit of a difference in, in their uh, creation story. But, you know, uh, we also have that to fall back on as far as our DNA. And we also got to look at DNA because DNA don't lie. And DNA will take us back thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years all the way back as DNA becomes more and more um, advanced, as DNA becomes more and more advanced, it can take us further and further and further back. You know, like my cousin, I also have had uh, uh, Southeast Asian. Uh, Mine was more from Philippines and Burma and and all of those areas, um, which tells me why I do Filipino martial arts. But, you know, it, it, it goes all the way back to that, you know, to, to that as well as my cousins. Uh, and then mine also had Polynesian, uh, like over in like the Hawaii, Fiji, I, I don't know, all those areas over there. And, and I looked at it in amazement because, you know, it, if DNA can take us back into that, it, it shows us, I guess, the oneness the oneness of the, of the world at one time, you know, all of our ancient cultures and all of our ancient, the ancient uh, uh, places that we were. So I'll give it back to my cousin because uh, he's much more versed at this than I. And uh, but from the Ifa perspective, that's a little bit, very little, that's a little bit of the, the, uh, the creation story. It's interesting, as you were talking, um, and I was putting in the chat, my memory from the Bible and from the book of Enoch and from the lost books of the Bible started sort of flooding me um, in this idea that even in the Bible, uh, it spoke of angels sleeping with mankind and creating super beings. Um, The book of Enoch called them Nephilim. Uh, and then subsequently them being removed from the planet, you know, by way of, of the great flood. Uh, even when we look at uh, some of those indigenous American stories, um, the Hopi, for instance, uh, talk about coming up out of the ground after a long period of hibernation uh, from something that fell from the sky. Uh, when we look at ancient Egypt, um, there's a, a intense focus on the sky 
and very specific <laughs> regions of the sky that, again, we find mirrored in the Maya, in the Aztec, in, in, in the Chinese, in, in, in the North American indigenous people about something coming from the sky, falling from the sky, or even returning from the sky. Um, when we think about some of the uh, me- megalithic sites that science has uncovered, especially since we've developed satellite technology, uh, these great designs that can only be seen from the sky. What is their purpose? What is their meaning? And even if you don't accept or believe in awareness of extraterrestrial, then why create something so huge, so massive, that can only be seen from the sky if our ancestors didn't have the technology of, of flight mobility? So, so there are many questions there that can be, can be looked at. Oh, Tom, beloved, did you have something you want to share? Um, I, as far as the creation story, um, Baba Ololi already spoke to um, what it is said in Yoruba and what we believe as far as Ifa. Um, I myself have had a, a long history of fascination of extraterrestrials and things of that nature. Um, my father, growing up, uh, we had, we were um, what people call Trekkies. We were huge, huge Star Trek fans. Anything to do with outer space and things like that and, and growing up in New York. And I loved going to the museums as well. If it wasn't me wanting to go to the zoo, I stayed at the Museum of Natural History. And it was, I don't care how many times I went there, Everything was always like it was brand new. So I love to learn and see different things about different electronics. I love to see about um, even the, the prehistoric age, dinosaurs, all of that stuff actually fascinated me. So I will say that um, I've seen uh, in, in different things as far as different spirituality and whether it be the Bible or different things that people believe. Some of the stories, if you, if you really take the time to look into it, a lot of them um, in more cases than not, actually complement or mirror each other. So that in itself should let us know that someone is telling the truth. There is some information as far as what's accurate and what's not. I wasn't there, um, but I am not one to say, first and foremost, I would say I absolutely believe in extraterrestrials. If you look at the things that just you see, Really, things that, that happen in this world, just out of this world, miraculous things, and the things that we ourselves are capable of, and to be so selfish and small-minded to think that we are it for the universe and the vastness that cannot even be measured at this moment. Mm-hmm. There are really people that think that we are it as far as intelligence. I, yeah, I, I would hope not. There is still so much, even on this planet. There are places in the sea we cannot go because of pressure and the depth. And and who's to say there's nothing living down there? I believe in a lot of stuff people think is crazy or or um, not crazy, but to say more out there risque, such as the Loch Ness monster. There are things we have not discovered. Who are we to say, oh, that's not possible? Can you get there? Now, I also believe. It's all right with discovery. It's great to learn new things. But when you find it, leave it there. 
leave it there. Don't don't try to catch it, bring it back, or do none of that stuff, because then we have, like, you know, Godzilla. So I, I would just prefer, you know, it's great to discover, but in discovery, I would also believe in leaving well enough alone. So I, I'm here for it all, and, and I enjoy it. So um, thank you for that. That's, that's my contribution. I appreciate that. I, I do. And um, as my cousin... Our cousin Olaye Ikawoli said, um, science is still trying to catch up. You know, the only reason we now have the ability to reach into Neanderthal DNA is because they've developed more advanced techniques to draw DNA from, from bone and other dry substances that we could not do before. And so we can certainly envision a time in the, in the near future, if it's not already happening, uh, under the guise of secrecy, um, the ability to sort of vaporize materials like they do drugs at the airport and, 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 and are able to determine the chemical makeup of what's in that product. Um, I like watching, um, uh, what's the name of that TV show? It, it's about the, uh, the um, y'all travel when you're at the airport and you got customs. It's about customs and they chicken, they're looking for drugs. And they're looking to see if you're carrying, you know, an undetermined amount of money that you didn't declare. Um, and, and so I learned just by watching that show that they can take what looks like a drug or a substance and put it on this little eye. And, and through it, a, a, a laser beam goes through and vaporizes a portion of it. And from that, they're able to determine whether it's real cocaine, whether it's real heroin, whether it's mixed with something. So I'm sure that it's if not already happening, already in development, the ability to sort of go into dry places, ancient and arid places, and pull up DNA that otherwise could not have been sort of tapped into before. Um, Now, beloved um, cousin, I'm going to challenge you just a little bit. Now, so are are the Imole and the Irumole, are, are they extraterrestrial? And looking at what I've seen in uh, the makeup, especially like when I went out to Africa, uh, when you look at the makeup uh, of their depictions, you would say that they're definitely not what we form as humans now. Uh, they, they would be a free model. So they would, I guess if you want to look at free model as extraterrestrial, I would say yes. I would say that when you look at even how giant they were, if they were actual depictions of the size of these primordials, you've always heard that original people over here was bigger than Samson, that Samson was even short. So then we're talking about people or primordials that were absolutely giants that were walking this earth. That, you know, if we even look back at, you all mentioned it, so I'm going to go there, Godzilla and, and all the rest of that stuff and how big they were, then we have to look at, at something that says that the original people or the original um, primordials, the original entities that roamed the earth were of a totally different nature than we were. <clears throat> you know, so I, I believe that, that, that primordials from that perspective, from what I've seen out there, that they told me this entity is this, this entity is that, then I would say that, yes, 
it, it would be extraterrestrial, uh, especially those that roam the earth, uh, came down from heaven. That would be extraterrestrial. It's definitely not of this plane, of this kind of this earth. And then, but the primordials, I, I believe, you know, we, we look at all these African cultures, and so many of the African cultures talk about our intertwining with with those that came from uh, from the sky down here. So many different cultures, when we look at a lot of them, they say the same thing. There has to be some sort of truth. It's all over Africa that takes up 10, what, is it 7 to 10 of the United States in, in size yeah. are saying sort of similar things from South Africa to East Africa to West Africa to North Africa to the middle of Africa. We have to look at it and we have to say to ourselves that there has to be a motive of reality and truth that is passed down from these uh, uh, elders, from their ancestors and, and ancestors before all of that, generations and generations. So I believe so. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Anthony X says he learned from an elder, Maladoma Soma, of the Dagara tribe who spoke up and introduced him to Kandable. Um, are these like nature spirits? He described them as elves. Um, and, and indeed, would they be extraterrestrial? And I think that there are layers within your question, Anthony, because, uh, again, we can talk about extraterrestrials that seeded life, that sort of uh, merged these various hominids and caused them to evolve and improve in a much shorter period of time. But we could also talk about, you know, as my cousin uh, Oloye mentioned earlier, and the Bible mentions the fact that mankind at some point was having regular sexual intercourse with, with angels or aliens or, or, or something other than humans. And so I believe the story of elves, the story of gnomes, uh, some of our indigenous uh, stories within ATR um, are a product of some sort of contact between Earth, DNA, and genes, and, and something of the other. And, and I want to look at that for a moment because, you know, can we trace extraterrestrials back to our DNA? Science says that they are finding a way to do that, that there is absolutely certain aspects of our, our genomes that make no sense, that they have not figured out, that don't have a correlation, and uh, the Goddess Initiative talked about the sea, there are absolutely things in the sea which have almost alien-like DNA that doesn't mirror anything else on the planet. And, and yes, we see that in octopus. We see that in, in, in some of the things in the sea that are able to illuminate themselves, change colors, change shapes. What, in all intents and purposes, would be alien or extraterrestrial-like behavior. And, and so we say, well, where's the history? Where's the documentation? We start going back to places like Kemet, for instance, like, um, you know, ancient Egypt. Uh, there's a recent article titled Ancient Egyptian Pharaoh May Have Been the First Known Giant, published in Live Science on August 4th, revealed that third dynasty pharaoh Sa Naket excavated from 
Wadi Makare. I hope I'm saying that right. Wadi Makare. That don't sound right, but but M-A-G-H-A-R-E-H. Located in the Sinai Peninsula region was called the Giant, the first known giant ruler of ancient Egypt. He was five inches taller than the robust Ramses II and eight inches taller than the average man for that time. Although he was six foot, one and a half inches tall, this caused a median sensation. But please note that I am the same height as this giant. I am six foot and a half inches tall. Now, throughout Egypt's past, there have been numerous examples of much taller giants reported, excavated, Mm -hmm. depicted in art, mummified examples that have been hidden from the public. We have uncovered accounts ranging from between 7 feet, 2.13 meters, and 16 feet, Mm 4.88 meters tall. Painstaking research of archaeological records, archaic texts, newspapers, and and analysis of depictions of hieroglyphs and ancient Egyptian art has stated has started to shed some light on this phenomenon. The whole area of the Middle East has strong legends of giant humans, along with references in the Bible, which include Moses fleeing from Egypt and being attacked by the mighty Canaanites in current day Israel and Lebanon. Newspaper accounts confirm the reality of these tribes and skeletons and bones of enormous proportions have been unearthed in the earth, I'm sorry, have been unearthed in this area of the Bible lands and also in other parts of Africa and the Middle East. There are tales of two-headed giants. Uh, are the legends of the Cap Dua, are they authentic? Cap, K-A-P, Dua, D-W-A. Are, are their stories real? Ancient Egyptian pharaoh Sa Naket may have been a giant but many studies suggest that there were many, many more. The unfolding discoveries of giant skeletons reported in America and other parts of the world have revealed a lost legacy of a race of colossal beings who are now slowly starting to be included in the historical and archaeological record. Egypt is no exception. So did giants build the pyramids? Did giants build Anchor Wat? Did giants build Saxay Huaman? Saxay Huaman, outside the old Inca capital of Cusco. A fortress called Saxay Humanan rests in the Peruvian Andes, built from enormous stones that have been chiseled and stacked together like a jigsaw puzzle. Some say Saxay Huanan could be the work of an ancient civilization that had a little help from interstellar friends. The 1,000-year-old interlocking fortress walls are made of rocks that weigh as much as 360 tons each, which are carried more than 20 miles before before being lifted and fit into place with a laser-like precision. The Nazca lines, which I uh, mentioned a little bit earlier in the show, on a high and dry plateau some 200 miles southeast of Lima, Peru, 
More than 800 long, straight white lines are etched in the Peruvian desert, seemingly at random. Joining them are 300 geometric shapes and 70 figures of animals, including spiders, monkeys, and hummingbirds. The Egyptian pyramids, were they built by giants? Were they built with the help of some sort of advanced extraterrestrial scientific knowledge? So just outside of Cairo and Giza, the most famous of Egypt's pyramids rises above the desert, built more than 4,500 years ago. And that is also now being disputed by science uh, that, that they were built 4,500 years ago. They're thinking more like 10 or maybe even 12,000 years ago with new science. But mm-hmm. how exactly did the Egyptians build them? They certainly couldn't have rolled them on wood. They certainly couldn't have lifted them with, with any number of, of enslaved, you know, Nubians. And so, again, is this proof? Is this evidence? Are we beginning to wake up to a higher sense of consciousness? And, and, and um, both of, of my cousins um, who have, you know, been to West Africa and who have, who have initiated an uh, Ifa, I've always viewed the Orisha and the Imole and the Irumale, uh to some degree as, as having, if, if not being extraterrestrial, absolutely having some connection to that, to that region, to, to that region of, of understanding. Um, the, the way we describe extraterrestrials today in our sort of westernized, you know, English and Spanish and, and French um, mirrors how uh, the Yoruba tell their ancient stories mirrors how the um, the um, Maasai tell tell their ancient stories, how the Turkana, you know, in, in, in East Africa tell many of their ancient stories. And so these people are often described as being the product of something that came from beyond, something that mm-hmm. came from the sky, mm-hmm. something that indeed had mobility uh, from earth to the sky. Uh, there are stories, if, am I correct, cousin, about Shango, or, or is it Obatala and the chain? You were telling us that story the other day, and their ability to, for humans to sort of ascend this chain into the higher uh, spaces. Right. You know, you're talking about with that is uh, that Alubamade, when he decided that this place he wanted to develop, then he sent down uh, Obatala. Uh, when they figured out that the initial rope uh, was not long enough, they sanctioned Ogun to uh, develop the the chain to take the rest of the way. Even with the chain, it didn't come all the way down to the to the land. Uh, he had he had dropped uh, you know seeds down that built the tree. Uh, he dropped the the hen down with the five. Uh, things on the foot to scrape away and that got the land. So there's a lot of different aspects in the creation story there uh, as they came down. The thing that we got to look at is it is my perspective and it's not the perspective of my allure or anything. This is just me. When you think of uh, Orisha, when you think of, of our connection to Orisha, when you think of our initiation to Orisha, it is my belief that we are initiating to a higher sense of, of being. 
So when we really saw an alignment with these initiations to Ifat, Ifat is far beyond anything here when it talks of the stories of the foundation. It predates all of the Abrahamic uh, faiths and all of that. And it also says that a lot of the other faiths, between Buddhism and all the other faiths, were really founded from the premise of what Ifat says. So even when you think of Egypt and Egyptology and, and all of that, the, the stories of the, the original uh, deities and their relationship, because people think sometimes that when we're focusing or we're honoring and celebrating the deities, that we're placing them on the same level as Illuminati, and that's not true. Illuminati is the one God. He's the supreme God, and all of the other Orisha are embodiments of God. So therefore, when we feel in alignment with our uh, practice and, and our initiation into these Orisha, then we take on the realms of facets of these Orisha that puts us in a higher place in our spiritual walk, in our journey here on earth, and even into the wisdom of nature. So, you know, you talk about the water base here and, and, and as the, the original entity, that, that, that would be Olofun, right? So then how do we fall in alignment with Olofun? Everything was created by God and we're supposed to be an embodiment of God, then we are God here on earth because we then take on at the, the actual facets of God, but now we have to grow into a God-like consciousness that then takes us to a higher elevation in our consciousness, and that then should allow us to be at a totally different level in our journey and walk here on earth. Yeah, I, I agree. And there's so many questions coming from the chat. I, uh, and I also have... Um, Neophyte before, beloved, your mic is open. He wanted to share with us um, some more um, OMED stories that, that we may not have, have heard before as it relates to this topic. Okay. Neophyte, are you there? Yes, sir, I'm here. Um, how's my mic? Uh, Trying to make it as clear as possible. Well, come on in. All right. Um, greetings, everybody. How are you doing? Um, I'd like to share some things that I, uh, I came across, some coincidences um, that I've come across. And try to, I, I want to bring your attention to it uh, because it's greatly important that we reassess how we're looking at our history and how it's told to us. Uh, the Olmecs have a, a oral history that isn't on any it isn't in any textbooks you would actually have to get this word of mouth storytelling from um basically romantic mexican history you know that that seems to be qualified as mythology now i'll get to the point um their story talks about the feathered serpent uh, Chich- uh, Chich- Chichinitska, uh the pyramids found in uh, in South America, or not South America, I'm talking about in Mexico. They worship, or I don't like to use that term, but they worship the snake god 
that they were uh, that they built this pyramid off of. But it gets qualified as being Aztec or Mayan. But both of those cultures say that they didn't build them; they were uh, they were they inherited the, um, these structures. They inherited uh, this information from the Olmecs. Now, the Blackfoot tribe and about eleven other um, native tribes claim in their oral history that they are directly linked to the Omex genetically. Now, here's the kicker. The Aborigines have an oral history. The Aborigines of Australia have um, have an oral um, oratory history that says that they encountered the rainbow serpent. The rainbow serpent being the feathered serpent, the mm-hmm. colored serpent. They call it Criolla just like your crayons, but the, the Criolla serpent is painted on their, um, on their caves, on their shore. They have a story that's called the dream time, where they speak of uh, themselves being here during the creation time and having, and having passed down this story of when the gods came and and actually created the known uh, uh, what what we know as the globe now, as the, as the planet now. What stands out to me is their conversation between the Rainbow Serpent and themselves. The Rainbow Serpent was actually coming back for the second time, looking for her lost children. Now, now let me make sure I'm understanding. So we're talking about um, Teotihuacan. The, the city of yes. God in Mexico, and it's known yes. for its pyramidal temples and its astronomical alignments built more than 2,000 years ago. And Teotihuacan's age, size, and complexity can make it seem otherworldly. Uh, this temple, if you've ever seen a, a photograph of it, um, I'm going to try and pop one on the screen if I can, um, is really massive much like the um, the Great Pyramid, very massive. But when we look at its structure and, and the clarity of lines and, and, and the sharp cuts in it, uh, it's almost impossible to build something like this without technology and a technology that we, uh, you know, claim based on what archaeologists have told us in the past did not exist among these people, that these people didn't have access to uh, this type of technology. And that's really just one example. There are other examples in South America um, that are much more refined than even this. Uh, There's a keyhole monument. Uh, Where it's located right now escapes me, but I know it's in Central or South America. Um, And it has just perfectly symmetric, smooth, round walls. And then it has these, these blocks built in to sort of fill out the, the remaining portion of this sort of keyhole-like design that science cannot explain without technology, without having the, the, the complicated levels and measures and other things that we use today to sort of create some of these monuments. <clears throat> and, and they have attempted to recreate some of these monuments um, unsuccessfully. And to include the pyramid, 
Uh, many of you are, are, are familiar with the pyramid in, in uh, Las Vegas. Uh, do you know how many years it took for them to do that? And how many times that building failed and didn't succeed before they finally got it to the condition that, that it's in today? So there's clearly a missing link for us, not just in uh, biology, you know, or, or, or the human story, but, but indeed even in science, there's a missing link between uh, what we believe we know, what we think we know and understand, and what our ancestors clearly had a connection to that resonated. If, if, if I may interject a little bit in here, um, just to just to kind of paint another picture of, of what exactly is is missing. My argument personally is that the timeline that we're accustomed to is why there's such a gap. There is a huge portion of time that seems to be missing from our, our understanding of, of these ancient cultures. For some reason, there is a coincidental number that keeps popping up of 10,000 years, 10,000 years. It always comes up as what was going on beforehand. Well, in Gobekli Tepe, uh, Turkey, there is a structural mound, uh, structural mound there that, um, that they... Uh, that's called, well, Gobekli Tepe, is the pot-bellied hill. Underneath that is several dozen uh, cir- uh, circular structures. Well, they're, they're all stone tablet style, but they're huge with these carvings that seem to imitate the same things that, w- that were going on in Egypt and Australia. As far as the the half human, half animal type uh, um, deity thing that's going on with them, the problem is this pl- this place was purposely buried. It's been proven that this this potbelly hill is literally a hu- human made mound that buried these structures. So that means that they can give an exact time, which is about twelve thousand years. Unearthing this this place throws off the entire structure of what we know as uh, as structural science. It's the science of kind of carbon dating and figuring out at what point were these structures built. Now, if I can direct your attention back to um, Egypt, inside of the Sphinx, enclosure there's water damage but not flood water damage rainwater damage the only time that there was ever water in egypt was about 12,000 years ago our understanding of what exactly went on lies somewhere in there because the greek um philosopher hit um that that gives us this timeline, said that he got it from his great ancestor or his great-grandfather that told him that there was a massive flood around 12,000 years ago. Three different areas that are showing evidence that our timeline is off. 
by at least 7,000 years. At least, the bare minimum. And this isn't even the first evidence of flood. This is the second flood that they're speaking of. The first flood, we have no record. There is no, no mindset. There's no one actually hunting down this information, mainly because there's so much evidence that is starting to compile of the fact that there was an, a, a, a global flood And a lot of the evidence is being unearthed here on these shores as well. As a matter mm-hmm. of fact, all of uh, the Great Lakes are remnants of this flood. Then my last point is directing you towards Utah, where there are literally um, fossilized coral on the tops of mountains. And then all of the the, the water erosion on a massive scale going throughout the Midwest and showing that there had to have been a water flow that went all the way through south of, um, uh, Southern California, Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, and into Mexico. Okay, well, um, you, you dragon, bro. <laughs> Come on. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, it, my my point my point is that we don't have uh, the only thing that 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 stops this whole theory is where would all the water come from? And lastly, uh, during that ice age twelve thousand years ago that we're still coming out of right now, everything north of Oh, I don't know. The Midwest and up was covered in two mile thick ice. The whole top half, that plate of ice came all the way down, cutting off about half of the United States. Now, what would the water lot level look like at that time if all of that was ice? Ice is more dense than water, or, or less dense than water, so it floats. All of that water would have been, the shoreline wouldn't be where it is right now. Where are the bodies is the question. Anything underneath 2,000 or 2 miles of ice would be pulverized to a point where it's unrecognizable. These people would have fled south. Okay, that's a good point. Okay, that's a a great point. I also want to respond to Asar Marzette. Uh, Beloved, you're you're saying two things. In one comment, you're talking about God, and then in the next comment, you're talking about the mothership. And I offer you that your concept of God and what God is might very well be a Eurocentric one, a Judaic, Islamic, Christian sense of what God is. When we go back into these cultures, these people from the indigenous world, they said they came from the sky. They said their technologies came from the sky. And so extraterrestrial might be a modernized word, but we're talking about something, a power greater than ourselves, a a knowledge and an intellect greater than ourselves that came from somewhere else. Now, now we could talk about Orisha, Loa, spirits, angels. Again, we're, we're referencing 
myths, legends, cultural, ethnic nuances. But when we start looking at these things from a more scientific perspective, some of these miraculous events of the past could very well be misrepresented technology, misunderstood technology, seeing and witnessing a technology and then trying to express that in a rock, express that in a painting, express that in a clay pot in a way that makes sense to them. And now we, from our very modern, westernized, Eurocentric-influenced, Roman-influenced mindset, we're now trying to pass everything through that seed. Um, I'm also Anthony X. Um, I don't have a problem with the idea of uh, humanity sort of possessing superpowers in the past. Uh, In fact, that has been well documented in, in many cultures. But then you went on to say, what do I think about the nation of Islam and their concept of the mothership? And if you agree with the FOI and, 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 and Farrakhan, and you agree that the crystal skulls of Asar are evidence of this mothership, then again, the question still remains, are we indeed worshiping a God as misunderstood technology, or are we really the product of something indeed extraterrestrial that came from some other place and and seeded this planet and is now becoming on this planet. Uh, Craig Burns suggested that by doing so, are we diminishing humanity? Have you looked at humanity lately? (laughs) And, And have you looked at humanity in the past? Uh, particularly if we go back to my, my original uh, uh, screen share of the various hominids and, and, and various pre-human forms that existed on this planet. Um, in, in a normal time span, in a normal evolutionary process, there are too many things that don't make sense about where we are now, where how we've become now. And when we think about what the what Ifa has offered, what Voodoo has offered, what what the Akan traditions have offered, what the Dogon have offered, we indeed came from somewhere else, or were seeded, interfered with, intervened with by someone that came from somewhere else. It doesn't make sense in the timeline of evolution for humanity to be where we are today. Even in my mind, when I think about, you know, what existed in 1967, I remember color TV, transistor radios, no microwaves, no color TV, certainly no Internet, no cable. Um, oh, my God, just, just you know, 45s, LPs. Uh, what came before that? It was, it was another form of record even before that. I had paper records as a child, which I wish I had now. They would be worth a whole lot of money. But, but paper records from the early years of, of recording. And so we, even in the last 50 years, have made monumental leaps in evolution as a species while we still, you know, harbor animalistic debased qualities, immorality, violence, war, the desire to seek harm on others, you know, our base animalistic uh, vibrations. 
So for me, it's not for me. It is not a hard leap of understanding that we were either uh, intervened with by God, and, and of course that draws into question as to how you believe God is, what you believe God is. Unfortunately, it brings religion into to, into this conversation, which is not necessary. Or we absolutely have misunderstood something and turned it into religion that our ancestors understood to be natural. And so the, the acts of magic and the acts of, you know, miraculous wonders could very well have been just natural, but were being fueled by another natural form from another place, from another place in the sky that we misinterpreted as God and God-like. And it's unique. It's interesting that north of the equator, we say it's, it was God-like, and it had to be a God. But when we look at our indigenous ancestors south of the, of, of the equator, they say it was our ancestors. It was those who came before us, and, 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 and now we're here. Uh, I, I believe my cousin... Um, um, Oloye's story sort of supports that, the, the idea that the, the Orisha were our ancestors just in a different form. So it, it's not a, a big stretch for me to, to accept that we had magical human-like abilities that were natural to who we were at that time. At that time. We also have to um, examine uh, catastrophic shifts in the planet, in a planetary energy. Now, we might say the flood, and the flood came and wiped out the Nephilim and wiped out the giants, but we could also say an asteroid may be consciously directed from some outside extraterrestrial force, hit our planet, and these large things couldn't survive anymore. So the giants didn't survive, but neither did the dinosaurs. These large things that require a great deal more oxygen than what we require were no longer able to survive in, in the earth climate as it begins to change. And so it's very easy to, to see, at least for me, <laughs> um, that we were definitely intervened with from outside humanity, from outside the planet in order to evolve to where we are today as humans. And then they came back and taught us science, taught us math, taught us how to live, taught us how to be clean. And then that showed up in the creation stories of many. Uh, my cousin don't like tribes, neither do I. So I say ethnic groups. Sometimes I say families. It showed up in the various families of the world, and then that was passed down through oral tradition. So how do you explain something without writing, without this sort of English, Spanish, French way we understand words today, and then depict that in pictures, then depict that in art. So this, they clearly saw something moving through the sky. They clearly saw something flying. Um, uh, our beloved co-host, uh, Neophyte Bocour, talked about um, uh, the pyramids in, in Mexico and, and, and Tio, Tio, Tioacan. That pyramid reflects the sun at the solar equinox and, and I think in, in, in the spring and then again at the fall and the sun appears to move along the outsides of this pyramid just like a serpent. 
just like a flying winged serpent. Another topic um, that we could have also added to this is harmonics and vibration and sound. And so there's something about the sound of Odoo when it's being spoken by someone who understands the language, who understands the accent. It's something about the sound of om, om, when it's said correctly and when it's said with the appropriate breathing and the appropriate intonations. There's something to be said about the effect of music on people of color, all the way down to our youngest, who will learn every song, say every hip-hop, rap song of the day, you know, with, with ease. But then when we push them into that Eurocentric school system, man, everything sounded like Greek to me. Everything sounded like French to me, you know, when I was in school. It made no sense to me at all uh, in, in English. And as a musician myself, my first gift was music. I was playing the piano by ear at three or four. I was singing at four or five or six. Um, I, I just resonated and had a deep connection, even a spiritual one, to sound and tone. And so some of these archaic structures, when struck, particularly in, in India, produce a tone produce a note, produce a, produce a harmony that science still cannot duplicate, nor can they explain. So there was clearly a high, uh, I'm even willing to accept that there was a, a, a race of humanity that, that may have existed that vibrated much higher than we do today, that vibrated much higher than, than we allow ourselves today. Because we're so immersed in what's carnal and what's physical and what's basic and, and, and what's low vib- vibrating. So the idea that we had psychic abilities, telepathic abilities, we have them now. So that doesn't surprise me. The idea that we had them to a greater sense then, yes. Uh, Africa talks of many stories of us communicating with nature, with the tree, with the animals, with the insects. You know, and having intelligent, intelligible conversations with nature. So I embrace both positions that we've, we've fallen away from our original status, our, our original disposition, you know, on, on the planet. But I'm also open to the idea that we're higher than Earth. We, we came from somewhere else. And our job right now, no matter what your religious affiliation it's to really regain your God self, to regain your, your God consciousness. And, and again, we say God, so, so that might be something extraterrestrial, something higher. Our highest self might be that which we were in the sky, our ability to fly. Um, Otan talked about um, Star Trek. I love Star Trek, the next generation. And my favorite character was Q. You know, Q was light. He was only light. So Q could show up as anything, anybody, any person, place, or thing. Q, Q could take on that, that form. But his, he was a yeah, yeah, and he was a booger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but ultimately, who, what he was as an element was light. And that's not far removed from science. Vibrating. That's what Orisha stands for, right? Yes, sir. So each Orisha then has a manifestation of a particular 
color or light that is supposed to be manifested within you or manifested around you, however you want to look at it. And then, you know, you look at your, your, then that which is within you that resonates into that particular light. You don't pick the Orisha, the Orisha pick you. So that means that in essence, it's that aspect of God or however you want to call it that is supposed to resonate within you to elevate you to a God consciousness, right? A goat rider, the master builder, says, asks, is Jesus an extraterrestrial by definition? So let's unpack that. So we have a virgin mother who has no sex with a man who is somehow, uh, we're we, we going to say, what's the, what's the new thing, in, in virgo? What do you call it? In vitro fertilization? In vitro now, in vitro fertilization didn't exist back then. But, but if we accept the story, somehow she had in virtual uh, fertilization. She had an egg that was fertilized, according to the story, and she gave birth to a baby that, according to the story, had magical-like qualities, could turn water into wine, could, be, could feed a multitude with two loaves and a fish. Mm-hmm. So is that not high science? Is that not extraterrestrial? See, we've, we've been taught to say religion. We've been taught to say magic. We've been taught to say it's miraculous. We've, we've been taught to say it's God. But if we just keep it just down to just science, science, is that not extraterrestrial by divination, co-host? I don't have any hard eyes. have nothing for you on that. To me, <laughs> I don't have anything. I ain't got nothing for you on that. All that you just said is true. When you look at it from a higher vibration, a higher science, a higher perspective, then indeed. And then where did the story come from? That whole story was a story that came from Egyptology. It came from Haru and Horus and all of that. So therefore, that, that story that was developed within all that was still new in comparison. It was 3,000 or 5,000 years prior than that, that that story was the matter of what was, was, was first, you know, come into play. And even that is my understanding that there was a story that was before that, that that even resonated from. Yeah. So, you know, what are we saying? We're just reverberating some things in, in, in different places in different ways that are allowed to go back to the root. Well, we always got to go back to the root. So what was the root truth? The root truth was a God consciousness that was born within this place through the divine feminine. And then he ascended to the heavens. Mm-hmm. Alive. Mm-hmm. Let's look at Ezekiel. Ezekiel saw the wheel. Way up in the middle of the air. I remember that song, Ezekiel saw the wheel. Way up in the middle of the air, Ezekiel saw the wheel, way in the middle of the air. And, and it, according to the Bible, had four sides that appeared to move individually, but yet as a group. How, how do supposed UFO craft move? It emitted light and sound and energy that in, in, in archaic terms, they could only describe as fire and smoke. They had not seen a rocket before. 
They had not seen rocket technology before. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, not only am I agreeing that Jesus might have been extraterrestrial, but that that magical book of the Bible, as we now know it, have a lot of extraterrestrial-like activity going on in it. Going and Rimmel ascended, didn't he? Rimmel ascended to Oru after doing the great works here on Earth and then left with us the tools by which we then uh, uh, can communicate with him, whether it's through a planet or whether it's through the Ikim. And when we cast that, then we're casting it on to a very higher source, say, they say the oracle, that allow us to have this direct communication with a woman to bring the wisdom of nature or the wisdom of the words of God or the Odu into manifestation for us. And we can, there's nobody that's ever had a reading, I don't believe, unless it was from a fake Babalao, one that has not been trained appropriately and does not have the divine order and, and energy and alignment, that they can say that their uh, uh, reading, that Dafa, has not been so accurate to the situation or to their life. There has to be. There has to be that higher level of placement in all that communication and that, that direct uh, connection, especially going through the initiation. You go through the initiations and you do certain things that put you on a higher course of alignment with spirit, with your divine inner consciousness that allow you to vibrate on another level when you go through the divination. I say, if I can uh, uh, answer, Jesus being extraterrestrial. Um, oh. Yes, thank you. I wanted to just add that when we look at the different things, um, as far as that creation story in the Bible and what happened with Mary and even with Joseph speaking on saying that he had not lain with her and the things that went on, we also have to look at sometimes when, when, when people are researching or when different organizations are researching, we, we have to let go of that element of control going, okay, with the research, so it had to go like this, or it had to go like this. There are so many different theories that we also have to take time to understand that some of these things that were happening, them being divine, aren't always going to be able to be explained just so, step by step by step. A lot of people say, well, it went this way or went that way because of this happening and that happening. Has anyone ever taken the time to think, first and foremost, that spirit transcends all? Why does it have to be step by step? Why could it not have been? Look at the picture that the Divine Prince put up. Look at all the different places in the, in the different um, uh, areas of humanity that we originated from that is documented. Who is to say just as Baba Aloya said when the Awumala came down, who is to say that they wasn't doing all of these things, all of these things at one time mm-hmm. in different locations? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So while we're trying to chase the origin of this because this is how it went because of this and what was found here, yet you have something, and, and when you look at the time frame, they're, they're lining up. Some of them are overlapping, meaning something, it, it's called multi-tensing. Something had to be going on in different places at the same time. Because as the divine prince said, look at where we are in humanity. Look at the, the creations. Look at how far we've come physically in development. It is also possible that some of these things were happening 
at the same time. So maybe the different theories, maybe they're all correct. Because when you find the common ground in them all, then you say, aha, so this was happening. Well, who says it had to be step by step? We got to let go of that element of control. We got to let go of that understanding of this is how it had to be. It had to be just so, just so, just so. Because that's not our place. That's about our pay grade. Drop the mic, dude. Drop the mic. Drop the mic. It doesn't have to be a certain step. It could have been all at once. It could have been all at once. So that's another way that we could think about it. I look at all of the different stories I've heard coming up outside of the creation stories in the church. I've heard stories of uh, the extraterrestrial. Some people say the Anunnaki. I've heard the stories of the Anunnaki and, and all of the different things and the Pleiadians. And I have heard it all. And my thing of it is, this is the issue. This is this is what's keeping us divided. It's not about who is right. How about we're all right? Look at the different places that humanity started. Who is to say there's only one type of extraterrestrial? All of this That's could right. have been happening at the same time right. to advance all of humanity. humanity. That's right. Yes, and um, Anthony X, with all due respect, we came from the sky. <laughs> when, you, when you break things down to a, a chemical level, to a biological level, to your your atoms, your cells, the molecules, we all are full of stardust, stardust. And, and nano diamonds are falling from the sky right now as we speak by the thousands. So we, we all come from the sky. All of our water on this planet came from the sky. All of our mineral compositions in this planet came from somewhere else. Um, and, and that's just at an earth science, physical biological perspective. We have what you just said, right? You said, yeah. say that again about the Adam, and then what does Adam mean, right? So then Adam and Adam, then the manifestation of what? Built from dust? So it just says exactly what you just said. The dust is not the earthly dust. The dust is from the dust that came from Olaun or heaven down here to formulate. So it all ties in, right? You can speak of that, which the dust or the dirt that was quote, that was dropped from a bacala, if you want to go into that realm and say, okay, from a West African Islam perspective, it might have some similarity to what is said from, I don't know, from a Native American perspective or from whoever else in, in these different places. They're all native to that particular country or land. And they all have a story that is far above what we can even put into perspective and understand. Look at our blood. Look at our DNA. There are still parts of science that are struggling to understand how our DNA connects how it is. Because some of the elements, some of the things we are made up of hasn't even been discovered yet. There's no Mm -hmm. name for it. How do you explain that? Mm -hmm. So it's going to still take time because we're still trying to figure out we are. We all know where melanin is, where it came from, that it's part, that it's in space, that it's particles. There are rocks, there are pieces of this planet that we know through science do not originate here. So all of that, all of that plays a huge role in discovering who we are. We just have to learn how to take the walls off that box and understand that it doesn't have to go one way. Yeah. 
Yes. Mm-hmm. A- all, that space, time, all of that is infinite. Yes. Why are we not? Yes. And extraterrestrial doesn't always have to translate into alien. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, we have this sort of this Western idea about what alien and what extraterrestrial is. You know, I'm not talking about the movie E.T., but anything that comes from out of the sky from somewhere else, in all intents and purposes, extraterrestrial. And so this planet was indeed seeded by extraterrestrials. Whether you accept or understand aliens or not, that's a separate conversation. And, and so I agree with Otan um, in that there are just so many ways to, to look at things. Mm-hmm. Um, Oloye um, um, confirmed, you know, the same thing with his point. But even from a scientific perspective, there are all kind of ways to look at things. You know, that's why it's more than one type of, of doctor. It's more than mm-hmm. one kind of specialist because your home practitioner can't see everything. <laughs> you know, your lab technician sees things, you know, that your x-ray technician don't see. You know, and, and so on. There are so many layers to the onion. And um, many of my, my clients will tell you, I, I, I use that as a reference all the time. I teach in an onion from mm-hmm. the inside out. And you build a foundation from the inside, a starting point. Somebody in the chat said point zero, and then things grow and evolve outward. Mm-hmm. And so when we look at point zero as, as a human, point zero is not biology. Mm-hmm. Point zero is not physiology. We, we are, even before the body is fully formed in the womb, we are. Our ancestors are already present in the blood. Mm-hmm. All of the Mari and the spirit is already planning the identity mm-hmm. of the individual that, that is to come, you know, and there are arrangements that we make, you know, with, with the God, you know, in our coming here. All of our lives have a purpose. All of our lives have a meaning. But if we don't know who we are, as Otan just eloquently explained, it, it makes it just so easy to just fall with the crowd or go with the, with the most popular information, you know, to, to go along with maybe even what we just think and believe without always looking for direct confirmation to what we think and we believe. So I'm always seeking confirmation of spirit. Just like I saw confirmation of God. And Jesus, you know, when I was 15 and 16, I'm still seeking confirmation of Loa and Orisha and, and, and Abazon and, and the presence of angels and indeed something that is greater than ourselves that somehow continues to move us forward, to motivate us, to push us forward. So I'm grateful for um, everyone's participation in this, in this topic. I certainly am. And isn't it that we already have shown that? We have the confirmation. If we're the originators of mathematics, science, and all the other aspects like that, where did we get it from? We had to get it from a higher source. We came here with it. And then we were able to develop it. And we, as, uh, you know, as O'Toole talks about, and we went through these different areas, what says that the science and technology that we brought here from the higher realm, was it the same in these other areas that were ancient areas of ancient people that then developed the pyramids and the science that took to develop the pyramids? They ain't been knocked down yet, so there's a higher level science with them pyramids. And let's be clear, Anthony X, the earth was not always here. 
the earth was not always here. So where did it come from? <laughs> okay. So where did it come from? And and if I embrace your theory that it that it's all from Earth, then indeed these ancestors that are on screen before you now, then they birthed that technology. They birthed that science. I believe they were taught it. They were gifted it. They recreated what they saw, what they witnessed to the best of their ability, if indeed it all came from Earth. But Earth came from somewhere. (laughs) It came from the sky, beloved. Earth came from the sky. All of our water, all of our minerals, our moon, it all came from the sky. So, So if it came from Earth, from what source? From what substance? Did this knowledge just come come forth out of rocks? And if so, with what technology? Did this science come up up out of the dirt? If so, with what technology? That's a question. That's not a judgment or position. That's a question. With with what technology? So I I appreciate everyone's participation. I really do. Um, This has been a great show, as I thought it would be. I'm certainly grateful for the time that Otan and, and Oloye Ifawole, both my cousins, um, <laughs> take to, to be here with me um, every day. I've been doing this since 2008. I know this is a job. This, this takes a chunk out of your day. Um, I'm often exhausted after this show just from the amount of energy exchange that goes on. So I'm grateful. I, I really am for, for both of you um, sharing with us and, and always being willing to share yourselves um, with us and this audience. Um, I'm going to end. I look forward to connecting with you again at high noon U.S. Central Standard Time here on Block Talk Radio, StreamYard, Facebook, Twitter, my EarthCam page, all the various places that we can be located. Um, show Oloye and, and Otan love and support. Support them. Support their ministry. Support their ELA. Support their growth. I appreciate you, and and remember that all is truly and indeed a blessing if you can just see beyond the veils. It's all just an illusion. It's all just a test and one of the greatest divine mysteries of this life cycle. Ashe o. Ashe Yeah, that was great. That was great. I mean, you all do so well, you know, with these un- unexplained topics that I come up with. At the last <laughs> You're going to have to do better giving me some stuff ahead of time. Well, I, did, I gave you this Friday night. No, I gave, you, <laughs> I gave you this Friday night. Yeah, but, like, I got to figure out which way you're going to go with stuff. And, you know, you, you can take it in a lot of different angles. <laughs> like, oh, man, okay, let me look this up real quick. <laughs> yes, indeed. So I, I'll do a better job of that. Um, I just honestly, I don't always know. I, I mean, be like, no. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's that it's that evangelical thing. I don't always know. Um, I've sort of been trained to allow spirit to sort of guide and take over. Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> so even if I, you know, when I started, I, I mean, I would write up dissertations about the show, and mm. and, and and I would either end up sticking to the material verbatim, or open up questions, open up a comment, yeah. and then the show would always detour. 
to where the people would go or, or to where the energy would go? Yes, I just got to be a jiu-jitsu man and, and be able to flow with you whichever way you go. Okay, this is where we're going now. <laughs> but I indeed am trying to uh, do better at, at least getting it to you sooner. Oh, it's all it's all I, I have to joke with you about something. I appreciate it. <laughs> so I've got to eat, and then I've got a 3 o'clock, so I've got to run. Yeah, have a good one. I'll right. talk to you soon. All right, peace and blessings. Okay, Odabo. Odabo. Thank you so much, Blog Talk Radio, for your love, your attention, your support, your listenership. All is truly and indeed a blessing. Congo Square. The Omus Indians, the Omus Indians prepared this place for us centuries before our arrival. A sacred spot where corn festivals were celebrated. The Omus Indians prepared this place for us. Centuries before our arrival. Congo Square, a sacred spot where corn festivals were celebrated. And as the colonizers came, our hosts, the Omus Indians, they pushed aside our hosts. The colonizers came and pushed aside our hosts and introduced us in chains. And by the late 1700s, we somehow, recognizing the sacredness of Les Places de Congo, we somehow, and the how of our somehow persuasive methodologies is not clear at this moment. The how is not clear. How our persuasive methodologies worked is not clear at this moment. But nevertheless, even as slaves, we crafted and created a space where we could be free to be we. And thusly, thusly we countered the sacrilegiousness of the French, giving great homage to our ancestors as well as giving praise and thanks to our red-blooded brothers and sisters. This is an oral libation toast to Congo Square, to Native Americans, to our ancestors who made a circle out of a square and gave us a way to stay ourselves, save ourselves from the transformatory ugliness of America, which refuses to recognize the spirituality of life which refuses to recognize the spirituality of life and celebrates death with crosses and crosses, double and triple crosses, the middle passage, the first cross, Christianity, the double cross, and capitalism, the ultimate triple coup de gras cross of our captivity. But the terror of crosses notwithstanding, we sang, we beat, we be, we was and is. Hail Congo Square. Congo, Congo Square. 
our African gods have not been obliterated. They have merely retreated inside the beat of us. Inside the beat of us, our African gods have not been obliterated. They have merely retreated, retreated inside the beat of us until we are ready to release them into a world that we recreate. A world harrowed by the beat, 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 being, beating, being of black heart drums. Heart beat, heart beat, heart beat at this place, at this place, beat, heart beat, beat, we beating place in new world space. Beating, being in place in new world, preserving our ancient pace. Our dance is the God walk. Our music, the God talk. First thing we do, let's get together. Circle ourselves into community. No beginning, no end. Connected together and singing, ringing. Singing in a ring. Second, let's be original, aboriginal. Be what we were before we became what we are. Be bambula dance. Be bonza music. And sing song words which have no English translation. Third, let us remember. Let us remember never to forget. Even when we can't remember the specifics, we must retain the essentials. Let us remember never to forget. Even when we can't remember the specifics, we must retain the essentials. The bounce, the blood, flow, the feel, the spirit, grow, energy, must retain and pass on the essential us-ness that others want to dissipate, whip out of us. But no matter, no matter how much of us they prohibit, no matter how much of us they prohibit, Deep inside us is us. Deep inside us is us. Remains us inside and needs only the beat to set us free. The beat to free us. It is morning. A sun day. A feel. A feel. Without shade, but dark. Dark with the people black of us in various, various, various shades. Eclipsing the sun with our elegance. We are centuries later now, and still this sacred ground calls us. To remember, to beat, 
to be. We are centuries later now, and still, this sacred ground calls us to remember, to beat, to be. Beat Congo Square. Be Congo Square. Beat Be Beat Be Remember. Remember. 